Hello everyone, welcome once again to another live edition of SITREP. We are at GSX in Atlanta here. Uh, I'm Tristan Field-Jones, joined by MJ Benice. We have some fantastic guests that'll be here and we'll get them to introduce themselves. Um, MJ, tell us a little bit about who you've brought uh, for us today. And yes, because we have three guests, MJ and I have to share a mic, so bear with us. It's not a good situation to be sharing a mic with Tristan's. But uh, listen, uh, I'm really excited for this conversation today only because I, I was a kid. I was born in the 80s, but I grew up with a computer in the house, my original 1994 IBM Aptiva. I could, you know, surf the World Wide Web. That was the thing. You know, how amazing that was. And, and it's just kind of been, I've got to watch uh, technology evolve to a point where when I was a kid watching movies like Hackers and, and all that, like, man, I wish the internet was actually like this. And now it, it is becoming like that. Virtual worlds are becoming prevalent. They're literally taking over. Workplaces are becoming virtual. The, the metaverse is a thing. So uh, today, ladies and gentlemen, we have a, a team to talk about physical security in the metaverse, in these kind of virtual landscapes that, that we're building. So uh, I'm very excited um, to have uh, Altaf, Amanda, and Scott with us today. Why don't you guys uh, kind of go around, introduce yourselves, tell us who you are, where you work, and, and why you're here. Yeah, hey everyone, uh, and, and thanks both of you guys for having us. Um, I'm uh, Altaf Bora, you can call me Al, no big deal. Uh, former Marine, uh, former enlisted Marine infantry guy, and then uh, transitioned to uh, as an intelligence officer in the Marine Corps. Uh, currently work for a large social media company uh, that might be building the metaverse. <laughs> might be. <laughs> um, I'm Amanda Lewis. I also came from a military and intelligence background uh, as a civilian. I did that for about 15 years, and now I also work for a large social media company that may or may not be building the metaverse. Interesting. <laughs> My name's Scott Walker. I, too, started in the military 22 years, was a federal agent, uh, came to work in Silicon Valley, worked for a couple of iconic tech companies, one that may have built the metaverse or building the metaverse, and uh, now I'm the director of investigations for an international manufacturing company, and we are passionate about the metaverse and, and virtual worlds and how that's going to affect our physical safety in the future. Getting a big a bit of vagueness here, a company you may or may not be building, <laughs> sort of, kind of, maybe, I don't know. Like, what's what's going on here, folks? Yeah, we have to we have to be a little uh, sensitive about uh, our employment, just for non-disclosure reasons. But really happy to talk about the topic. <laughs> okay, awesome. Uh, well, let's start with that. Um, you know, we we think of again the metaverse. We think of virtual worlds. Um, and we don't realize that, you know, yes, even though, you know, the internet, when you think about it, and, and those virtual worlds don't really exist, there's still someone that needs to protect the servers. You still need to protect, you know, the, the infrastructure in there. So let's just start with an overview. What are some of those critical pieces of infrastructure that really need that physical security protection, even as we get more and more involved in virtual worlds? Yes, I'll start off with, with data centers. Uh, it's basically kind of the underlying architecture that supports uh, one, the internet, and two, any type of uh, data services that is gonna flow through the internet. And so, you know, data centers are critical to what we do. Uh, you know, trunk lines as well, um, that actual, you know, mechanism to, to transfer the data. And, you know, we, when you think about a metaverse, what do, you, what do you need to make something like that possible? You need, you know, lots of power, you need, 
you need to be able to cool those power, you know, those power units, and you need a lot of energy, right? So, um, any, anything, you know, when you when you think about the data center is kind of like the hub of all these things, right? You have your storage capability, you have the ability to, you know, where you locate those data centers, it, it directly correlates to speed of of your service, right? Um, so you got to have the speed. You you know, obviously the, the the better the ping, all the Call of Duty plays out there. You know, the better you are, the the the, the, the better the the higher kill streak is going to be, right? Um, and then on top of that, you have to be able to to support that infrastructure that's there, right? So power plants that power data centers are important. Water sources, you know, that cool the power plant and allow for the HVAC systems to run in these giant, massive data centers. And if you haven't been to a data center, they're massive. They're, they're massive, massive, massive industrial buildings. Um, I believe uh, we did a data center presentation yesterday, the size of an aircraft carrier. Um, yeah, I mean, these things are massive, massive pieces of infrastructure. Um, and if you have one that goes down, if you lose power to one, you're talking loss of service for millions of people when it comes to, to the internet or to communications in general. So those are, you know, that's primarily, but then you also have the physical offices, right? Where the programmers, the artists, everyone who helps create the, 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 the virtual world sit as well, right? Well, those are critical assets and resources. And there's always a talent war in Silicon Valley for, 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 that, for that brain capital, right? So we have to protect the people as well. And then, you know, you have all the supporting infrastructure that, you know, if, if people don't eat, they don't, you know, they don't, they're not able to sleep, they're not able to do that, well now you have a loss of service because the people can't operate at their highest ability. So you can you can almost make the case that everything around us is critical to for a metaverse to function. Yeah, what I've always said is that we're going into a mobile first, cloud first, data is the new gold. And if we aren't protecting that infrastructure, we've got nothing. With IoT and the way everything will be interconnected in the future, you know, meta these are aspects of metaverse, right? And so I think if you're not protecting them, you're we're making our whole world vulnerable. I mean, how many people would freak out if their GPS didn't work on their phone in the city? Right. Yeah. Uh, this it relates. Canada had a, actually a large outage from one of our large providers, uh, Rogers. Uh, it's like a ma major internet provider in Canada, and it was something like 30% of Canada's population lost access to the internet, and that includes like point of pay systems, that was everything. So it was, it was, it was very strange, it was a very quiet, you know, day on Canada Twitter, but um, <laughs> yeah. we, uh, we... Probably a good day. Yeah, we, we, we had this weird moment where it was about 12 hours or so where people were just disconnected, and they couldn't do anything. Yeah. Um, so I think from a security perspective, you know, people in the security industry understand, yeah, okay, we got to protect the physical structures that build the connectivity to, let's say, a metaverse. Um, but, you know, when, when actually, before we, we jump on this podcast, Amanda, you, you mentioned that there was like a risk, like a security risk where somebody, something happened to them in a virtual landscape, and then they took it into the real world and actually injured somebody uh, in RL. So, so can we touch on that? Because I'm, I thinking, I'm thinking for a lot of security experts, I get I have to protect a, a data center, but I, I don't have the full comprehension of somebody plays a game or does something online, and then that translates to an actual physical attack. Can we can we talk about what happened first, and then we'll dive in? Sure, sure. So um, for those of you who don't know, it's, it's sort of emergent news that at Northeastern University in Boston, there was a recent explosion, and initial news reports are reporting that um, there is a possibly a Pelican case that exploded and injured um, an injured injured an individual, and they um, are initially reporting that there was a manifesto. I'll also include this 
in this case that referenced uh, virtual reality and was railing against Mark Zuckerberg. Um, and so right now um, they're, they're uh, considering that something may have happened to this person in, in virtual reality whether or not that's quote unquote the metaverse or in some other virtual space, um, and that that somehow precipitated this horrible crime. Yeah, and I'm curious, that is, I mean, I think we all heard about, especially when video games were becoming really popular, you know, video games cause violence, and you know, there, how many false news reports were there out there about you know the effects of it, and here we are, video games, one of the biggest industries out there, and you know, the crime rates haven't gone up as a result, as far as we know anyway. But um, is that, like Amanda, you're talking to that, is that something that we're going to have to be increasingly vigilant about? Is Because unfortunately, some people, and maybe they have mental health issues, like there could be a whole host of background problems taking place there. But are we going to have to be more on the lookout for people who can't distinguish virtual versus real? And then, uh, and, and again, subsequently, you know, this bad thing happened to me in the metaverse or whatever virtual world, so I'm going to go physically attack them. Like, is that something we really need to be alert for nowadays? I, I'm glad you asked that question. I think that this is a problem or something that we should consider regardless of whether this happens in the metaverse or in some other virtual space. If you kind of back it up to sort of more of the analog internet, anytime we're connecting through any kind of virtual space, um, there is an inherent disconnection. So it's an, a connection and disconnection. So if we think about, I don't know if you've seen like MTV's catfishing, right? These are people interacting in a virtual space through social media and uh, and then eventually if you meet with the person, maybe I'm, I think I'm talking to Scott, but actually he's a 13 year old girl. And, uh, and then when I am, <laughs> I'm an avatar. And so, you know, if I try to meet with Scott and then I show up and it's a 13 year old girl, you know, understandably, I think there would be this, this disconnect and, and potentially hurt feelings yeah. uh, involved. And so I think this is a danger and something that we need to consider regardless. Um, particularly as we can take on whatever personas we want online. I was thinking of swatting as you were talking about that, Tristan. Yeah, like so, swatting. swatting is like where it, it really came from the gamer it came, culture. It came right from the right? gamer so culture. So people would get mad in the gaming culture because they got killed or they got booted off a server, server or whatever, and they were figuring out through the IP addresses where their competitors were playing, find their home address, and then put in a call to nine one one saying there's some there's a hostage situation. And people were actually getting hurt, arrested, um, and without any, you know, real investigation from law enforcement, uh, pre kind of incident. Because they have to. Because, because they, they have, have to. to. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, but it's it's something that happens, that that occurred or began in the virtual space and then became kinetic in the real world. You know, it's interesting. In, I, as journalists, doxing is a common phenomenon yeah. that occurs, right? right. right? Yeah. Where you know, I'll write an article people who have issues with that article will then release sort of like where I work or my home address or my phone number or something. Um, when we think about though, and I think, and I think I, I'm, I'm kind of going to my, my social media kind of world, you know, you have individuals who online can be like, I can't swear on the show. Uh, you, we have people, individuals who have a, an online persona that's aggressive, that is trolling, for example, they will yeah. do this. But in the real world, they're kind of perfectly normal, docile, docile <laughs> individuals. Um, and and social media has kind of proven that if you are, if you put somebody in front of a, a screen and they there's that barrier of anonymity at least to a point, 
I can do whatever I want, whereas in real life, I would never engage in, in that way. Is the metaverse or, or any virtual world, um, are we going to, especially like as the workplace moves into the virtual landscape, how is that shift going to occur? Do you think behavior is going to become better because all of a sudden my professional career or, or my real like life friends are now at my work buddies, whatever, we're all, you know, like, is it going to improve behavior or are we going to see kind of behavior continue to maybe slide deeper and deeper into just more trolling, more, you know, a-hole behavior? from online people. I think there's likely to be both. Yeah. Also, right? I and I think that. I yeah. think in some ways we we have the opportunity to level the playing field for some people, sure. right? So for people who are maybe differently able to maybe couldn't have gone into a traditional office or maybe um, experience uh, some kind of uh, different different attitudes um, based on how they're how they're perceived outwardly they have the opportunity to create an avatar or to create a persona that that evens the playing field. But I think with good comes sort of the dark side as well. And so you are likely to also get that kind of darker side of human behavior to come out because you do have that distance. I, I think environment really shapes human behavior a lot of the times. Um, and, you know, the, the consequences in the physical world are, are, you know, there's police officers pretty much everywhere. There's, it's a known quantity. Like if I, if I walk up to you and I don't like you and I punch you in the face, right? I'm, you know, you have legal recourse to take me to, to court. I go to jail. The, you know, consequences are real, right? But what are the consequences in the metaverse, right? You know, what what consequences do we actually impose on people that 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 hurt, right? So because, you know, as of now, if I do something bad on a social media platform, I get banned. I get kicked off. I go back. To, I create a new account and I'm back on in ten minutes, right? You respond. So, exa yeah. Exactly. I respond, yeah, right? So the consequences, you know, aren't very harsh when it when it comes to the internet, when it comes to doing things, you know. And it's it, it wasn't until recently that we even started seeing legislation, you know, for you know, you know, if you're if you're doing if you're exchanging you know inappropriate pictures without consent, now there's laws against that, right? But outside of kind of that. What it, what what is there's there's no crime against me trolling you right there's even doxing is it is that a crime it's not 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 necessarily a crime right so you know I think when we when we talk about the behavior aspect of the metaverse uh, we talk to the behavior aspect of the internet in general you know until we really set those boundaries you know like there is an actual consequence that's going to impact you in the physical world I I think humans will just run with with the behavior. I have a follow-up. Sorry, Tristan. Um, it, it's interesting because, you know, we talk about insecurity a lot. Um, there's there's punishment or there's education. Right. Right? Um, you, we, have we done enough in the last 20 years to educate young people, for example, kids, how to behave properly in a social media landscape, in a virtual landscape, or have we kind of relied on the old, you know, stick, right? Right. Um, you know, you do something wrong, we slap you, and, you know, don't do it again. And then they, they end up doing it again versus actually in schools teaching kids this is how you should behave online this is how you you know just like you would behave in the real world your behavior matters in a virtual space so do you think that education is going to play a role in this like is there going to be this pivot to start educating young people about listen your virtual life is as your virtual life matters just like your sort of real life does i i, I think the way way most of us i think are gen xers here and the way we were raised was the way our parents were raised i would think 
and they, it, we, we are of the age where we know what analog means and what digital means. You know how to use a rotary phone. By the way, you can't text with a rotary phone very well. We established that you can. It you, would just it be just slow. Take, yeah. but what if you make a mistake on the <laughs> right. emoticon? You have to start all over again. True. Right. right? Or you just push through. Just push yeah. through. That's right. <laughs> just keep going until you so, get it. So, you know, you have, uh, we have kind of a generation that has grown up online, right? And there aren't any of our children who don't have baby pictures that are posted somewhere in the in the virtual right and so we've done a really terrible job of teaching that that generation how to what's acceptable you know what did we all learn when we were growing up when the street lights come on you got to come home right uh, we were out riding our bikes all day saturday running around in the woods doing whatever we we're doing as kids and there wasn't really any kind of negative consequence now you have one. You have a, a negative interaction online. You are you're pulled into some type of sexual thing, or you're you're uh, tricked to start buying green dot cards. Or there's all these horrible things that could happen to our young people, and there's really no barrier to entry, right? So the youngest of the young, there are what two year olds that are able to figure out how to work the iPad, their mom's iPad, and they can be into what are supposed to be kid friendly applications and by the way applications are the metaverse a lot of people will say i'm not going to be in the metaverse okay are you online are you, are you in the ios world that's a metaverse in itself i mean texting yeah it's kind of a metaverse. Is, it is right. anything that's taking you away from the real is is potentially what the metaverse really means we, we talk about it being uh something that almost anybody can have and anybody can build you know that's what you said yesterday which right. i thought was brilliant so I think this education piece, we talk a lot about cybersecurity or online safety, which is don't give somebody your password, you know, make sure, well, how about don't give somebody your home address? We see these things happening, and I wish I was being facetious here, but I'm not. We see these things happening with young people, and they don't really have the, they don't understand the barriers or the boundaries because they've grown up in it. Now that gives them, that, that makes it hard for them, and it gives them a superpower. It gives them a superpower because now we're in this change. I call this the decade of crisis, right? We're in this change that's occurring very rapidly. Well, who does really well with rapid change? I think this current generation that's growing up Absolutely. because they're used to, I need, what's the next TikTok? Right. 15 seconds, that's all you get my attention for, right? So I think they're going to do well with change, but it, it, there will be a lot of friction there until we figure it out. There's, you know... You got to remember too, you know, Silicon Valley is pumping out a new product every six months. So, you know, part of the challenge of this is, you know, even if I wanted to, like I have a four-year-old daughter, even if I wanted to try to teach her how to behave online, the, the norms online change so fast because products come out, like every six months we're launching something, right? So things change, you know, and things change way faster than I think most working parents and, and you know, just professionals in general can, can keep up. So, you know, things that I, I read about now and, and things that I see now, I'm, I'm like, wow, I would, I, I didn't even know that was a thing, right? When, when did that start, you know? And people are like, oh, yeah, that started, you know, started six months ago. Oh, okay, well, I, I didn't know that. So it, it, it's a big challenge, you know, one, because, you know, it's, the, these are kind of like the latchkey kids of the internet, right? Yeah. Like there's no supervision, yeah. great, right? Great, you just, yeah. you, just, wow. you just go on there, you know, and do your thing. I'm busy working. And they're kind of left to their own devices. And then, two, everything is happening so fast, you know, much faster. I think, 
you know, like 80s kid, right? You know, a new Nintendo game would come out like maybe every six months, and that was that was the rage, right? And then we would play that for a couple hours, and we go back on our bike, right? Yeah. There's like new, like it's like thousands of new games every day coming out, uh, you know, on an iPhone or on an Android, or you know, even on even on consoles now. There's multiple consoles. There was a, there was Nintendo and Sega, yeah. you know, for the majority of the 90s. That's all you got, right? Now you have multiple things to choose from. Everyone has something tailored to their interests and their taste. So it's just so so challenging for for a parent to really you know wrap their head around all this technology that they have to manage. So it's uh, it, it, it's 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 a problem, um, and I, I don't think we have a real good solution yet to, to figure it out, right? Yeah, well, and, and, and to your point there, it, it's it, it, that's I mean, when you think of a, a distribution platform like well, Steam is the first one that comes to yep. mind, but right. EA has right. origin. Yep. I mean, it's, right. it's not just the fact that so much more is coming out. It's so easy for me to take two minutes, enter in my credit card, and buy a game. Or increasingly, so many games out there are free, where they make money off of you know merchandise or special items or whatever it is. And again, it's the same thing with with movies, with TV shows, with music, right? I mean, it's not just that there's so much more; it's so easily accessible. Um, this is a fascinating conversation, but I think we should get back to like physical security. No, but again, so many interesting points. But I also, uh, you know, in, in the context of physical security and protecting this infrastructure, you know, I, I think of everything that's been brought up here and. It, it, really, I think the theme of the conversation is just how complicated this is. This isn't a matter of posting a security guard at the door to an aircraft carrier-sized data farm. There are so many more elements that need to be involved in there. I'd be curious to hear, are there some elements that are not being addressed enough? Are there some aspects that we're kind of forgetting about? Because we hear all about cybersecurity, we hear all about virtual security, being safe online, that sort of thing. But are we doing enough and are you paying enough attention to all the facets involved in physically guarding that infrastructure? I think so. One of the big things that I've noticed at this at GSX this year is there's been a lot of discussion about getting physical security professionals involved in the cyber realm and, and vice versa, right? I mean, I think we're at a point now where if we don't if we don't start merging these two industries and professions together. Um, we're we're gonna have a big miss, and I, I would hate to call it the metaverse is 9/11, but we're we're potentially looking at that, right? I mean, when you think, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll tap into my military experience. When you think about a terrorist planning cycle, one of the biggest portions of that is recon, is actually reconnoitering a target and planning, right? And then there's execution, there's recruiting, and there's execution, right? So when we think about how does how can I do recon or planning in the metaverse without the physical security guard of the building? even knowing that I'm doing that, right? You know, this is this is like a nightmare scenario for me when I'm thinking about it. Is somebody can actually look at my building that I need to protect without even physically being in the same region, Google having Street to walk field. the ground, That's exactly. Right. Yeah. So I can, you know, I can literally get 90% of my data online without even having to set foot in the site. I can even walk through houses now. If, if, you, if you look at, yep. you know, like Zillow.com or some of these real estate things, I can do a virtual walkthrough of a house, know where every door is, know where the backyard is, know where it is on the street. Figure out what kind of locks they have. Exactly, figure out what kind of locks they have. I could, you know, but if I have a if I have a security guard there, how does he know that somebody is is reconnoitering my home, right? So we have to have some type of presence that interfaces with the physical security and that's communicated, right? And if you look at like Uvalde, that's a perfect example. The guy was online um, posting, I'm gonna shoot a school, I'm gonna shoot a school. And you know the the platform where he posted that, they were informed, but we, I think that's a great example of showing how the disconnect of 
we have a threat online. Law enforcement's informed of the threat, but they still can't execute fast enough to prevent an active shooter incident, right? So if we use that as the template and the model, you know, times that by a million when we get to a metaverse, that's what we could be looking at. So there has to be some type of mechanism that translates effectively and quickly any type of threat online to physical forces so they can actually stop something before it's actually happening. And uh, I think if you look at it, you frame it in that in that way, you start you start seeing some of the, the gaps that we have, right? Okay, so how do we start merging these, or and or at least you know properly merge the physical security and the virtual security? How do we make that marriage work? I think the first thing that we start is having the conversation, like bringing physical security people into the room to talk to engineers, to talk to designers, to talk about like, okay, how could we misuse this space? What are the dangers that we would see in the physical world that could translate into a digital world? Red team it. Right, absolutely, red team it. Um, what we use in the military, right? Yeah. So, um, so try and think, think like your adversary, right? Like think like, if I wanted to do something nefarious, how would I do it? Would I recon an area? And I think one of the the really cool things about virtual spaces and and the free flow of information is that there's a lot of information out there. The dangerous part of that is because our generation has grown up with that. There's, I think, a lot fewer safeguards in terms of. Uh, keeping private information private, yep. right? We share so freely, and we want to create an open environment where we can share that information. Um, but imagine, like, imagine there were a bunch of cameras that were live streaming, and you could like be in a virtual GSX and walk around, and you can see that Al's here, and you can see that Scott's here, and you could virtually walk around this space. Um, but maybe, maybe Al doesn't want to be on camera. Hopefully, you do because I think you yeah, actually I, are on camera. But you are on camera. Live camera. <laughs> We're a bit past that. Yeah. We're doing it live. <laughs> but uh, imagine that was something that you didn't want, right? And they were they they were live filming just in the freedom of information. But now that becomes a dangerous issue. What if I have a stalker and they're virtually stalking? That's right. Yeah, I was gonna, you know, again, in my journalism work, um, you know, we use OSINT all the time to figure out information about an individual or, or someone we're trying to track down or find to talk to them, speak to them, interview them, or in certain situations like follow the money of how yep. certain illegal activity occurred. Right. Right. So, you know, a, a guy like me who is not was, you know, does has a basic knowledge can go online and I can find where you live quite easily. I can find, you know, whether you rent or own your property. I can find how many times you've been married. And it's all out there. Um, so so it's interesting when you view this this world. And, and I have a standing bet with, with my boss that he actually owes me 50 bucks now. Um, because I said that there is going to be, within the next 10 years, a merger between the cyber and the physical security landscape. You're going to need, uh, you're going to need experts who kind of dabble in both. Uh, and have to have a working knowledge of the physical, but also the cyber. Otherwise, it's all going to fall apart because the worlds are merging. And I'm very happy to say that he does now officially owe me 50 bucks and he's not going to like it. Because um, I said at this conference, it's going to get discussed. Um, so thank you very much for first winning me $50. I truly appreciate that. My pleasure. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he's Tristan. lunch. It's $50 Canadian, so that oh, here... It's even better. That's like $10 a minute. No. Well, uh, it's still a lunch. It's still a lunch, MJ. It's still a lunch. I'm going to eat a Papa John's, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, sorry, that went way off track. When we think about the shift then in what the security world's going to look like, obviously it's going to be young people. It's obviously it's going to be people in our generation who kind of make up 
the next old guard. Yeah. And then you're yeah, going to yeah. have the new new guard coming in. You know, our kids. Yes. Um, what do you think is going to be the major difference between, in the security world, our kids entering this field and sort of us leaving this field? What's going to be that I, shift in like 25 years? Yeah, I, I, have, I have two kiddos in college. One is a, a social work master's and one is a cybersecurity major. And I go through this with both of them, as, as Amanda knows, knows my kids. Um, and both of them have this, uh, what's the re- world going to be like? We don't, they, they just don't know, right? Because what was normal yesterday is not normal today. And that things are changing so rapidly. They're, what their concern is, from what I, I, I get from them, is what, how, how are we going to do it? How are we going to be successful? Will we have a job? Will we be able to do what we want to do? Um, because what is there now may not be there tomorrow. So think the constant landscape is changing. The other thing we need to be mindful of, to your point, you know, we'll become the old guard, right? But by the end of this year, the majority of the baby boomers are turning 65 and they're leaving the workforce. Whether that's COVID-related or, or just stress-related, they don't want to deal with it, whatever it is, that's a global problem. So our, our globe just got a lot smaller in the workforce. So while we'll become the old guard, what I want people to, or what I want to encourage people to do is encourage the, our elders to stay connected, right? Stay connected, it, whether that's through mentorship or, and I, and I talked to a lot of some of the, the what I'll call uh, the godfathers of GSX or ASIS are here. And I, I, when I talk to them, I say, thank you for being here because we still need you. You're still relevant. And I think there's a lot of like, oh, well, you know, grandpa can, or grandma, they don't, we don't care what they learned because they learned the old way of doing things. And what the reality is, is that we need everybody. This is what I call an all hands on deck situation. This is, we can't unplug and just go live in the mountains, go fish all day. That, that would be great. I could do that. Yeah, (laughs) we all, we all could. But what, what the crisis is, we, especially with what we're seeing in Russia and Ukraine and what we're seeing with, with potential uh, uh, climate change and food shortages and all these things will start impacting population. And what keeps me up at night is depopulation and how we're, we're kind of, if you follow the UN study, we're going in the negative. By 20, 2100, we'll be at zero population as far as uh, growth, right? So that means less people are having less babies, right? That's not a good thing. What we need to do is encourage this next generation, have children, become a professional, be educated, uh, but have children, you know, go out there, be, be ready. Because the, we have a, we're going to have to have a reliance on metaverse because we can't travel, we can't go and do all the things that we're going to want to do. We're going to have to have a reliance on AI because artificial intelligence is going to help us mitigate some of the problems that we have in the metaverse, some of the problems we have in the physical world. You know, what does a, a suicide bomber look like? Well, if I've got a camera up there, I, I can't put a person behind that camera to look for the suicide bomber. I need analytics at the edge computing and doing machine learning algorithms for object detection potentially. So we have to start being comfortable with change and comfortable with technology. And that's, I think, the big thing that our, this new generation is comfortable with technology. But we have to make also not uh, uh, forget that they have to learn and that they are going to come out and they're going to have the same frustrations that we did with, I don't know what the world's like, right? 
So I think I think we're really in a crisis right now. Ten years from now, we'll start to come out of the crisis, and those our kids are going to be inheriting a whole new world. Hopefully, it's a good world. That's yeah. what we Hopefully, need to build yeah. for. Them. Yeah. Okay, so we've had a fantastic conversation today. There's been lots that we've covered. I, I always like ending these episodes with a bit of advice. So we've really covered the gamut for everything. We've we've gone from like security advice to parenting advice to internet <laughs> advice, all <laughs> sorts of things. Video games, yeah, exactly. So, but let's say uh, what, what uh, I, I think what really resonates with me is that when you talk about protecting the physical infrastructure of virtual worlds. That doesn't even need to be a, a metaverse. That can be protecting the servers that run your website, or protecting, uh, you know, the infrastructure uh, that even at home, the infrastructure that runs your doorbell, or your right. whatever home device you have yeah. that's connected to Alexa or Siri or whatever it may be. Right. So, your security professional listening to this and thinking to yourself, "Oh man, I may have neglected the physical aspect of my virtual infrastructure." What's some advice you can impart to start looking at this? What are some things they should review? What are some places they should go to read? Anything like that so that they can really start to beef up the physical security. Because again, in a virtual world and with us so focused on cyber, I think some of these physical aspects get left behind because we just don't think about it as much. So I'll, I'll start. So I have a couple of pieces. So so one, I think looking at where your data is going, that's what the, when we're protecting physical yeah. security, we're, f we're protecting the data ultimately, right? So look at what, like read the privacy policies. I know it's boring. I used to have to do it for a living. Uh, read the privacy policies, understand what kind of data is being collected, where are you sharing data, like what apps are you having, letting have access to your doorbell, to your bank statements, whatever, make sure they're not inter-sharing information. Um, the other thing that I'll say is, at the end of the day, it's humans, right? And so the more connected we are, the more uh, options for being disconnected we are, and the more we have the ability to be influenced, I think, by the information in the spheres around us, right? So I think, really, you have the opportunity to create the world and the virtual space that right. you that you exist in, and you have the opportunity to shape that, right? So um, if you don't want your feeds on whatever platform, like hampered down with like conspiracy theories or really negative spaces or really negative talks, like don't look at that, okay? Like, or look at it under an anonymous browser so those cookies yes, are not sure. following you. Um, you have the opportunity to create a really positive space um, and not just uh, like, surround yourself with that negativity and, and in that in that space and I think that'll help all of us broadly psychologically which will sort of yeah. help the greater ecosystem yeah I think um, one of the, the great things about the place that I work is that I talk to many different types of people who are not from my background and that has made me much smarter and much more aware of you know the physical and the virtual world right so one of the the, the big tendencies I see people do is you kind of just want to stay with your tribe, right? You just want to surround yourself with people who are just like you, who are into the same things, right? And I think that's probably one of the, the downsides of social media and, and a metaverse is we've enabled that, right? Where I think in the 80s, you kind of had to just deal with people, right? A lot, you, you, you may not have liked them, but you tolerated them, right? Because you had to, you didn't, you didn't have a place to escape. But I think what, what we have to kind of go back to is that model of 
you need to surround yourself with all types of people. You need to learn from everybody. You need to, if you don't understand something, like I'm not a, you know, I came from a, a real physical security heavy background. Um, I had to learn the virtual world, you know, and I had to talk to people who I wouldn't have normally talked to. And I had to kind of break those walls down and understand what was the big threat vectors from a cyber side that could impact the physical side, right? And I'm, I, I think I'm, I'm a rarity in the fact that I was proactive in knocking those walls down and talking to those people. Um, a lot of physical guys don't want to do that because they're very comfortable in their little, hey, I'm physical, that's what I do. Same with the cyber guys. The cyber guys are like, ah, I don't do, I don't do active shooter. I don't do this. That's, I do this, right? I think that attitude's got to change. Um, you have to really just knock the wall down, have coffee with somebody who maybe, you know, if you're, if you're in the cybersecurity department of your company, go have a conversation with the physical security guys. Talk to them about what, you know, what can I do for you, right? How can I help you do your job? How can you help me do my job? I think those conversations, like we mentioned, have to happen. Um, but I think individual actions on that is we, we, need, we all need to start looking at the world differently. We, instead of just staying in our little lanes, we need to just erase the lanes and realize that, you know, we had a, we had a thing when I worked at Amazon. Security is everybody's responsibility, right? That's so right. everybody, including the admin, right, including the intern, including the finance guy, we're, we're all responsible for our physical security and, and, and our virtual security. So I think collectively as a society, we have to start thinking like that. Like we're all responsible to make sure that the metaverse and the physical world is safe for all of us, right? So be curious. Be curious. That, that would well, be my advice. I see that poster. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You see them in every tech company. company. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. For me, I'll just say authenticity and mentorship. If you enable authenticity in your everyday life with everybody around you, enable them to be comfortable with who they are, we'll have a, a better, more cohesive society, just in general. And then mentorship. Mentorship not just up, but mentorship down, uh, or I should say not just down, mentorship up, where look to those the emerging generation. I love, I talked to two um, college students. We talked to four college students From yesterday. Rock. Slippery Rock College, who came to ASI or to GSX and wanted to learn about what's corporate security, what's homeland security, what are all these different things. And I asked them, you know, what kind of challenges are you having? What are you experiencing? What are you concerned about? Mm -hmm. Right? And I, I hear an unfortunate theme, which is I just, I don't know what the world's going to be like when I get out, you know, and I have all this student debt. And how do I, right? So listen to them as they're coming up uh, and it, it will help influence us as hopefully we're, we're considered leaders, but uh, I'd like to think that we are. Sometimes. Sometimes. Every other Tuesday for me. Um, <laughs> so, so mentorship opportunities, and it doesn't have to be this really professional thing like you do what I tell you to do, but just listen to somebody and encourage them and don't be self-centered, be inclusive. And I think th those things, authenticity and mentorship, is really what we're, we need to continue to move forward and build. Sage advice from all three. Let's, Al, Amanda, and Scott, thank you so much. Before you go, plug how people can find you, social media, whatever. Uh, we'll do a round table here. And then, uh, yeah, LinkedIn's the best for me. Uh, Altaf Bora, um, A-L-T-A-F-B-O-R-A. Uh, just add me on LinkedIn, hit me a message. Um, I'm not always as responsive as I want to be now because I'm a parent, but um, I will definitely reach out to you. You reach out to me on LinkedIn, and you know we, we had a good conversation there. So LinkedIn's the easiest way to get get a hold of me, and love to talk to everybody out there. 
same. Feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, I'll also do a little shout out for our transitioning military friends. Um, so that is often like a hard transition. Uh, these two guys are veterans and made, successfully made the transition from military into the private sector. It is a challenging transition. Um, so I do have some uh, some documents on my LinkedIn to kind of help with that. So if you have any questions about that or just want to continue the conversation, feel free to hit me up on LinkedIn. For me, I don't have any other social media but OnlyFans. So <laughs> just kidding. That was a joke. Okay, well, uh, thank you very much for tuning in. Um, we, we're not live, are we? Yeah, we are. Create the world you want, Scott. Create the world you want. Hey, OnlyFans has DMs, so you know. You, you, yeah, this is. Gonna, I hope you realize this is going to live on other platforms <laughs> afterwards. Right? Ever. So. <laughs> yeah, just, LinkedIn's the best way to get a hold of me. Yeah, oh, just like everybody else. Uh, thank you. Phenomenal conversation. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you again. Awesome. Thanks for having us. Yeah.